You're listening to Sex and Marriage, Part 3 of a three-part series from Ignite, a marriage conference hosted by Calvary Chapel of Crook County and taught by Pastor Jeff Stewart from Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley, California. Due to the nature of this topic, we recommend that it be listened to by married couples and those who will soon be married. And parents, if you have your children with you, we leave it to your discretion whether or not they listen to this particular topic. If you have your Bibles with you, here's Pastor Jeff. We are now going to talk about sex. Um, done a fair um, amount of sexual counseling along with um, communication problems and always, um, you know, spiritual relationship. Nobody ever comes in to talk about their spiritual relationship. We just end up finding out that it's a problem because it manifests in some other way. Um, sex is a super important part of a healthy marriage. Um, one of the things that, that I think I want to say about sex is that it is a reflection um, of your relationship. The, the, state of your, um, the state of your sex life is a reflection of, of your current relationship. It is reflecting something. Um, you know, it might be reflecting lack of communication. It might be reflecting lack of affection. It might be reflecting a healthy relationship. It might be um, affecting or reflecting a lack of understanding. Somehow sex is reflecting who you are um, as people. I, I would like you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is a portion. I happen to be teaching through 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings now. And um, if you know anything about the letter, you know that the church at Corinth is completely out of control. They're suing each other. They, they've divided into cliques. They got a guy who's living with his uh, father's wife. Um, and everybody thinks it's great. They, the communion services are just insane. People are getting drunk and gorging themselves, and the people that are poor are not even being able to partake. Um, they're, they're out of control. The gifts are out of control in the church. Um, and a lot of these things are things that Paul heard when these people from Chloe's household came um, to deliver a letter to him, and they told him what was going on. But the letter they delivered had some questions, and one of the questions that was in the letter um, was about marriage and about unmarried people and about married people. And, um, and so this is, this is what we have here in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 7. And we're going to read um, the first five verses. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of, uh, of self-control. Now, the first thing that jumps out at me about this passage is Paul doesn't seem to be a huge fan of marriage. Um, he says that the reason to get married is because of sexual immorality. A little bit later, he says, well, go ahead and let him get married. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. I don't think people were lined up to have Paul officiate their wedding. You know, I see him kind of like, well, 
You know, here we have two people who lack self-control today and they're about to ruin their life. So, um, you know, repeat after me, repeat after me. Okay, you know, get out of here kind of a thing is how is how it comes across that Paul would, um, you know, that Paul would officiate marriage. And um, I think that his own experience had a, you know, had a, a bit to do, you know, to do with that. Um, you know, th there's speculation. We don't know because he doesn't talk about it. And speculation that to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which he claimed to be, that he would have had to have been a married man. And, um, you know, then people think, well, what happened to his wife, you know? Um, I mean, if you read Corinthians, maybe he killed her. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe she left him. You know, it's possible that he converted to Christianity. She didn't. You know, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, Paul doesn't have a great, um, a great view. At least it doesn't come across here. And... Um, you know, and, and I think that's okay. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know, Paul was called to be singled. You know, he says that, um, you know, that it's a calling and, and he has that one. Um, he does, however, answer their question and give us some wonderful things um, about, uh, you know, about marriage. The first thing in verse 2, he says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. I think that in their culture, it would be, it would be the same as the one in, we, in which we live today. You know, we tend to think that um, we live in this totally, um, you know, wicked and immoral and sexually um, just charged culture and that, and that we're unlucky to do it. Listen, the, the Roman culture was, you know, as wicked, if not more, as immoral, if not more, as sexually charged, if not more, you know, they... Um, in, in Corinth, one of the problems is apparently there were still guys that were going to the temple and, you know, worshiping, you know, and they were worshiping with temple prostitutes. And there was a, you know, there was a problem going on in Corinth with that. And so they lived in a debased society. And the first thing Paul says to him is let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. And one thing that I want to say to you and and you know, once again, I'm a guy, so I, I think that this, um, at least sexually, would apply more to guys. Is that one thing that we have to have, we or we have to pray for, we have to maintain, is we need affection and eyes for our wife. You know, we live in a society that is very um, visually oriented, right? You can you could throw away your television; you are not going to escape. Um, sexual images. You're, you know, when you drive on the road, you're going to see them. When you go into a restaurant, you're going to see them. When, uh, you know, and, and by the way, guys don't need the television. They don't need movies. They don't need signs. You know, there's living, breathing women all over the place. And so you're going to be bombarded with those things. And Paul would encourage us here, let each man have his own wife. And we are to, um, you know, invest in that relationship enough um, so that so that we look there, so that we're satisfied there, so that we're um, occupied. And I know that doesn't sound like a you know like a very sensitive word, but but occupied there, you know. And I think for ladies, um, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, maybe there are some emotional things where you would be tempted to look elsewhere. You know, you would be tempted to identify with, you know, with a friend more than with your husband. You know, it's a, it's kind of a cruel trick um, how, you know, guys can be so sensitive and caring and understanding when they're dating 
and then just shed that like a snake sheds a skin when, you know, once they get married. And it, you know, it's a horrible thing, but it's a tendency of a lot of guys. I think to a large degree, I did that when Karen and I got married. I just, she was just wondering what happened to this guy that would talk to me on the phone until, you know, until he fell asleep and then be able to get up and go to work early the next morning. I never, ever heard, you know what? Um, I'm kind of tired. I need to get to bed. I, I got to get up early for work. I never heard that when we were dating. I don't think I said that to her once, but it didn't take very long um, after being married where I started saying that kind of stuff to her, you know, and I think, um, and, and I think she could have been and probably was um, tempted to look elsewhere for some of the things that, you know, that maybe were needs in her life. And you see, I, you know, I don't know who's first, I don't know whatever, but I know when one spouse starts to look elsewhere in one way, uh, the, the other is sometimes not far behind, you know? And um, Paul just encourages us to, to have our own wife and our own husband. Now, in verse 3, he says, Let the husband render or give to his wife the affection due her, and likewise, the wife, uh, uh, likewise also the wife to her husband. This is an interesting verse. Paul says that when you're married, you owe affection to your spouse. It's due. It, the idea here is a bill. You know, we all know what bills are. You get a bill, you have to pay. You know, if it's a um, you know, if it's an energy bill, it's going to say you used X amount of kilowatts. You know, here's what it cost. Here's a bunch of, you know, a bunch of extra charges. Who knows what those are? And then, and then, you know, you look to the red box. This is what is due. You know, you have to pay this. And, you know, you're, it will say, you know, due now or it will say due on the 15th or, or whatever. We all understand that, you know. Maybe you have a credit card bill and the, and the bill is quite large, but, you know, they have the little box you know, and this is the one they really want you to pay. You know, the one that, that will allow you to never, ever get out of that debt, right? Your, your, your balance is $42,000, but send us 12 bucks. You know, it's, it's kind of it's how they want to do. And they have the little square. This, this is what's due. Well, Paul paints a bill for us as married couples. And he says that you owe your spouse affection. You, you, there's something that you owe them, affection. And we're talking here about physical affection physical attention, you know, and, and um, you know, it, it is expressed differently and people have different needs. And if you don't know the kind of affection that your spouse likes, shame on you. Shame on you if you don't know that. If you haven't taken enough time to get to know what kind of affection your, your spouse responds to, what they enjoy, what is beneficial to them, what, uh, you know, what builds them up, what you know, what brings pleasure to them. If you don't know that, shame on you. It always grieves me to see married couples who don't know each other. You ever, you ever been at this setting, you know, everybody's together at a, at a party or a fellowship thing or whatever, and, and you know, a, a wife or a husband gets some food for their spouse and they come back and, and the spouse says, I hate mayonnaise. Why would you, you know, why did you put mayonnaise on this? And then the, and then the other spouse says, oh, I, you know, I don't, I didn't know. You know, if you've been married a year and you don't know that your spouse hates mayonnaise, you're not paying attention. You know, if you couldn't go into a place and order an ice cream for your wife um, and get the flavor right, or at least semi-right, there's a problem. If you don't know what kind of soda your husband would drink at a restaurant or that he doesn't drink soda. You know, if he gets up and goes to the bathroom and, 
and you can't order because you don't know if he want you know if he wants an Arnold Palmer or a strawberry lemonade because these are the two drinks he gets. That's fine. But if you have no idea, if you don't know, you know whether does he drink black coffee or you know does he drink Mountain Dew? If if you have no idea, this is a problem. And here sexually, and and just in in affection, if you don't know what your spouse likes, what would be due, if you don't understand the bill that Paul's presenting you, you have a problem. Render the affection that is due to your spouse. And you see, this is a difficult thing, and we in the church have not done a good job of, of explaining these kinds of things. We haven't done a good job. Nobody told me. I, I served in the church. I was leading a youth ministry. I was at, in leadership at a home Bible study that eventually became the church that I pastor now. I had great friends. I had real friends. I had accountability friends. I had friends that had been married three years. I had friends that had been married 22 years. And nobody told me, hey, Jeff, you need to figure out what kind of affection Karen likes. You need to figure that out. And buddy, if you do, you will be benefited. If you can figure out what she likes, if you can figure out what makes her feel loved and appreciated and valued and give that to her, it will benefit you. Nobody told me that. And I can't help but to think they didn't tell me because they didn't know. No matter how long they've been married, they didn't know. Give to your spouse the affection that is due them. I love, verse four is, is one of my favorite verses and, and it's provided me 18 years of, of jokes with Karen. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This, it leads me to two jokes and they're the ones that probably to her stopped being funny a long time ago, but I just keep telling them. Do you have jokes like that? One of them starts with me totally naked. And then I just stand like this and I go, hey, babe, according to 1 Corinthians, all of this, it's yours. <laughs> Do with it whatever you want, you know? Here, and I'll turn, you know, flex a little bit. and It's all for you. You know, whatever you want to do, right? So, yeah, she stopped laughing at that a long time ago. But every once in a while, you know, if the, if the kids aren't around and I don't have any clothes on and I get a chance to say that, I, I like to do it. The other one goes something like this. She's involved in something, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's at the stove. She's getting food for the kids and I come up behind and she's super ticklish on her neck. So I'll kiss her neck and, and, she, and, and she'll, it'll make her like pull away because she's ticklish. And then I'll go, hey, hey, hey. And she'll go, come on. And then I'll, I'll grab her butt, you know, and then she'll be like, come on, I'm, I'm doing something. And I'll go, hey, do I need to remind you what it says in God's most holy word in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, that this belongs to me, right? And then I'll go sit down and let her finish whatever she's doing, you know? I'm sure that one stopped being funny a long time ago, too, to her. Um, it, it's a great verse, but it, it makes an amazing point. When you take verses 3 and 4 together, that we are to give affection, that our body doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to our spouse. You know what Paul's trying to tell us? Paul's trying to tell us that sex in a marriage is not about your pleasure. It's not about your satisfaction. It's not about what you like. 
It's about finding out and rendering. It's about finding out and giving your partner pleasure, satisfaction, fulfillment. This is right sex. That's godly, biblical sex. And it's actually the best kind of sex. You know, these people that live their lives, you know, either from partner to partner or or even with one person, always thinking that it's about them, that it's just about them being satisfied, that it's just about them being pleasured, will never understand the beauty, the depth, the amazing thing that sex is. Because when two people make it their goal to pleasure the other person, it is a phenomenal experience. And that's what God gives to us. My job is to render affection to her. My job is to present my body and all that it entails to her. For her use, for her pleasure, for her benefit. That, that's what it is. Let, let me tell you, I, I don't even know how old I was when we got married. See, I do that, this kind of math that they taught us in the 70s. I was 24 when we got married and, um, you know, we made out and we did stuff that we were kind of guilty about, but we never had intercourse. So, um, you know, we came about as close as you can possibly come, but you know, we, we never had intercourse. And so I thought, and I thought when we had our honeymoon that it was my idea about the honeymoon is we're going to have intercourse and I don't have to feel bad. I, I sort of saw it as my end zone celebration. You know, my sort of Billy, White Shoes, Johnson, dance, and spike, you know, to all of the passion and all of the stuff that we had building up to um, to getting married. Because I'm pretty sure that um, Karen wanted to have intercourse as much as I did before we got married. But because, um, you know, we were trying to at least honor God in one way. You know, we, we certainly weren't keeping our hands off each other, but we were trying to, to do it right. And we just, that was just the only line we, you know, we never crossed pretty much. And um, so we, we held out. And, and, but what I didn't know is that Karen, of course, you know, she was a virgin. And so she was kind of afraid and she was a little tense. And unfortunately, she worked in an office full of um, unsaved women um, who told her all kinds of things. First of all, that there's no way that I could ever be faithful to her because none of them had ever had a man who was faithful to him. So they were telling her that when we were engaged and, and after we were married. But they also were telling her that sex was going to hurt, that she was going to get this, um, this honeymoon disease that virgins get and all of this stuff. So I'm thinking that it's going to be an end zone celebration and she's thinking that it's going to be a concentration camp. And then... <laughs> And, and then we get married, right? And, I, you know, we, we had sex the first night, and it wasn't an end zone dance. It, it wasn't good, you know? It, it, just, it just wasn't good. And, um, and we had sex, you know, the rest of the honeymoon, and we had an amazing time together. We, you know, we, we got to go to Hawaii. We had a great time together. But the intercourse portion of, of our sex, it, it wasn't great for one thing. I may have to apologize to her later for this, but you, they had convinced her that she was going to get this virgin disease from having sex. So we would have sex, and right when it was done, she would jump up and run and sit in the bathtub. 
So, like, that was super romantic, you know, like... And then, so after the first time, I got the idea that she wanted me to hurry up and finish so she could get to the bath. You know, and it was just... It was weird. It was just... And I kept thinking, like, what happened to this girl that was practically begging me to have sex with her, like, two weeks ago when it was wrong? It's like, now that it's right, she's like, ah, you know, let's go see the waterfall. You know, it's like... It's like, what happened, right? And none of the guys in my life, not one man, not one Christian man in my life said to me, hey, Jeff, here's what I want to tell you about your honeymoon. Your job is to bring her pleasure. That's your job. If you make that your goal on your honeymoon, you're going to have a great time. And if you make your pleasure your goal on your honeymoon, you're not going to have a great time. And that's why I didn't have a great time. I didn't have a great time because my goal was finally realizing what I thought was amazing for me and nobody. I mean, I had a ton of Christian married men in my life. Nobody said to me, hey, listen, buddy, here's what Christian married sex is. It's you doing everything you can to bring pleasure to her. Nobody said that to me. And so, you know, we... It took us a while to have meaningful, wonderful sex. We had to go through awkward conversations. You know, we had to have awkward moments. I had to, to confess things to her that brought about discussions that, that were... I told you last night, I think it was, that you know, we have a good marriage, but we paid for it in tears, you know? We, 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 did, we did that kind of stuff, and, uh, and some of it was about sex. But I just look back and I think, why didn't anybody tell me? And, and you know, because I know the relationship I had with them. And the only answer I can come up with is because none of them knew. They couldn't tell me that because they Have you ever heard this saying, you can't take people where you haven't been? You know, it's a, it's a ministry principle in Christianity. I can't take you to Jesus if I'm not going to Jesus. I can describe him to you. I can read a verse, but I can't take you there. You ever heard people talk about Jesus and you just know that they're doing it from strictly an academic perspective? But then you hear someone else talk about Jesus. And maybe the points aren't well defined. Maybe they're not even greatly explained, but you just know this person knows Jesus. Well, I don't think any of them knew. And I've made it my goal um, to tell the young guys that I marry, that I know that I'm a part of their life. I wait until the day of the wedding when it's me and the groom. I've already prayed with the bride. I've already answered their questions. We're just getting ready to walk down. And I say, look, I got one more thing I want to tell you. Come over here. And I say, you're going to go have a honeymoon. Tonight you're going to have sex. And I'm really happy for you. Your goal is to bring her pleasure. If you make her pleasure your goal, you're going to have a good time. And if you make your pleasure your goal, you're not going to have a great time. You're not. And, and you know, I have a, one real good friend who said, is Karen telling her this too? You know, I said, no, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. If it's six months, you know, Karen needs to talk to her, then we can do that. But right now, it's just you. You, you know you're the leader. Here you go. Here's your baton. Lead sexually. You know, that's what it's about. It's about bringing pleasure, satisfaction, enjoyment to your partner. So right now, what we need to do, we need to take a little break individually. And I don't mean an actual break. 
but we just need to take a little mental break, and maybe you've already done it. You need to ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I, is my goal to bring enjoyment, satisfaction, and pleasure to my partner, or is my primary goal to get myself satisfied, to, to make, to fulfill my own desires, to have my own pleasure? And if that's your goal, what I'm here to say to you is that, is that biblically, in the eyes of God, that's wrong. Now, I'll also tell you this. I don't care if, if you were a group of Christians or not. This would still be information that's valuable to have a wonderful sex life. It's, it's just one of those things. You know, there are spiritual laws in the Bible that you don't need to be a Christian to benefit from. You know, uh, you know like, um, you know, giving. You don't need to be a Christian to benefit from giving. People all over the world learn that when I give, when I put others first, it, it somehow it blesses me. Somehow it's a, you know, it's a benefit to me. And you don't have to be a Christian to learn this either. If you give sexually, you make the other person's pleasure your goal, you're going to benefit somehow. It's going to be amazing. And, and so you need to sort of you know, go over in your mind and ask yourself if you're doing that. I might say this too. In order to do this, you, you, you're going to probably need, you might need to have some awkward conversations. And I hate talking during sex unless it's somehow dirty. I, and I don't mean dirty, but <laughs> I mean kind of like, you know, not like super dirty, but I, I hate, but not, but not clean either, you know, so... I don't know. If you really want to know what that means, you just ask Karen. She'll tell you. Um, I, don't, I don't like having conversations. I don't, I don't want to talk about how Titus is doing in math when we're in the middle of having sex. I don't want to know that we have to call your mother back you know, when, when we're having sex. And, and I, 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 I don't even like talking about things that might come up like, you know, oh, you know, my back hurts. or I, I don't even like that, you know, but... Sometimes, and the older you get, you know, you have to do some of that stuff, you know? So, like, for me, I'll just, you know, she'll have to say, what's wrong? I'm just like, you know, and sometimes she'll say, oh, no, that's a pain face. Like, I've got to, i got to get off, you know, and now I don't have them anymore, but i got to get off his diseased kidneys. This isn't going well. Like, we, you know, we've had, I don't even like having those talks. I'd prefer she just ruined the rest of my kidneys, you know, in, until we're through. I don't, I don't like talking, but... You, you have to find out, like, do you, do you even like that? You know, like, for 15 years, I've thought this is my best trick. Like, do you, you know, do, do you like that? And it's kind of hard to hear, not so much. <laughs> you know? Like, um, you know, we've had a lot of sex, and you've kind of been missing the bullseye for a long, long time. You know? And, and, you know, I don't, I, I don't know as a woman, you know, as a guy, like, you pretty much know if he likes it or not, right? Like, you, guys, like, it sticks out, right? Like, <laughs> so, you know, everything's happening outside with a guy, you, you know, but you might need to ask him some other things. I don't know. But with a woman, like, it all happens inside. And you, you have to ask about it. Am I close? Like, I, you know, 
And it's sort of awkward to do it. But if your goal is to, as a man, if my goal is to bring her pleasure, then I got to find out how and where I can bring her pleasure, right? I have to find that out. I don't really like to talk about it. It's not, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable, especially, you know, if you're 10 or 15 years in. Like this one, I'd say to those of you that are, that are newly married, do it now before you find out that for a decade you've been doing it wrong. You know, like find out now. It's less embarrassing, more awkward, but less embarrassing to just do it in the beginning. You know, I, I think the honeymoon's the best time to do it. You know, just figure it all out. Bring a little book, write it down, whatever you got to do, you know. But if that's your goal, those are things you want to know. And unfortunately for me, you know, we were a good ways into marriage before I even cared about finding out. Because what I really wanted is, is I saw sex as something for me that was good for me. It was a release, you know, like I don't, I don't know about other people, but for me, like it's a, it's a release of stress. It's a, of course, a wonderful thing. It's a, and, and that's really all I cared about. And it wasn't until well into our marriage that I started figuring out what Paul's telling us here in 1 Corinthians. And then I had to start asking Karen stuff. And, and as much as I don't like talking during sex, I, I will say, you know, uh, is it anything going on? Or, yeah. <laughs> Am I in the neighborhood? What's, you know, do you like that? And, and it still kind of sucks to hear no, not really. <laughs> but, you know, if that's, your, if that's your goal, then you have to be willing to do that. I would just prefer to have sex and pretend that, that I'm amazing at it, you know? Uh, but if, if my goal is her pleasure, that's not good enough. Pretending that I'm good at it's not good enough. I have to become good at it. And the only way to become good at sex is to learn your partner because your partner is unique. There are general things that are true about guys and general things that are true about women, but it, each person is unique. You know, Each person has places on their body that maybe you've never thought of that, that are good for them. And they may not be for somebody else. I was doing a, a talk like this for Calvary Chapel Murrieta probably... 400, you know, 200, 250 couples in this place. And I was talking about sex and I was talking about how you have to talk about sex. And I said, nobody wants to have the conversation where you say, honey, you know that thing that you do with my ear that you think is so cool? Yeah, it's not. And right in the front row was one of the assistant pastors and his wife and she clapped and stomped her feet. And I, I suddenly got super uncomfortable for the guy. Because, like, I caused him to find out she does not want your tongue in her ear. Like, you think it's fantastic, she doesn't, you know? And she had never been able to tell him, so she decided that laughing, clapping, and stomping her feet would be the best way for him to find out. And, you know, I, I sort of feel bad about it, but I'm glad that he knows. I'll bet he hasn't had his tongue in her ear in the last two years. You know? And... and this is what it's about. It really is. I, I want to read. I want to talk about verse five too, and then we'll do our questions. Do not deprive one another, except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of control. Withholding sex 
is not allowed between Christian people in the Bible except for these things. Here's what has to be there for withholding sex to be okay. Consent. Okay? This right here separates us from the world. In the world, you can withhold sex simply because you want to or as punishment, or as a training technique, like a mackerel with a dolphin who's trying to learn how to do a flip. Sex is not a, a training technique. I'll get him to pick his underwear up. Because eventually, you know, he'll, he's going to get horny enough to remember his underwear is on the floor if I just cut him off. Right? That may well be effective, but it's not allowed biblically. Consent. You know, and by the way, I am not consenting to long periods of no sex. I mean, she is going to have to come with something earth shaking for me to consent to even a little bit of time. Right. And if she said, honey, this is such a big deal and we need to pray and we need to fast and let's just, you know, it's just not we won't have sex. We'll pray and fast. And, if, you know, if she said uh, like, I think a week is about it. Like, if she said a week and it was a really big deal, I could say okay. But if she came and said, you know what, I think that we should pray and fast sex for the fall, I'm not going to consent to that. Or for the month, I'm not going to consent to that. I I'm not going to do it. And if I don't consent, it's not something she can do. Now, you know well you can do it, right? You know you can do it, but it's not right. It's not right. You're not supposed to do it. With consent, then he also says that it needs to be for a reason, a good reason, a praying and fasting reason. Not because I don't like you or you haven't done enough for me or those are not good reasons. You know, they're, they're not. There has to be consent. There has to be a good reason, and there has to be a predetermined time. For a time, he says. You, 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 just, can't, you just can't indiscriminately decide to withhold sex for um, you know, whatever time you deem appropriate. It has to be a decision made together. It has to be for a good reason, and there has to be a predetermined amount of time. We're, we're going to do this for this amount of time and for this reason, and we're going to pray and fast. And, and if you're someone who is withholding sex for other reasons, you need to be accountable to 1 Corinthians 7, 4, or 7, 5. Depriving each other, he says here, gives Satan an opportunity to tempt you. I want to tell you one story, and then we're going to pass out the sheets. Karen and I went to a pastor's conference in Atlanta, and um, we met uh, some friends of ours there, and um, they had been with us in ministry in uh, California, and now they were pastoring a church in Tennessee, and it was a wonderful reunion. We got to spend time together. We went to the conference, and we went out to Red Lobster. Is, is that what it was, Karen? I think we went out to Red Lobster, just the four of us, and we were talking. So we got on this subject of sex, and we were talking about marital counseling. And I promised to Jesus that I heard the wife say, we have a couple in our church that goes several months without having sex. And, and suddenly, I just, I just went off. I, I just said, like, that is unbelievable. Like, and I just said, listen, the thing that that wife needs to know is that that guy is getting it somewhere. 
He is getting sexually satisfied somewhere. He's either got another girl or he's looking at porn and satisfying himself or he's just using his imagination from who he sees or who's interested in him, who's affirming him in his life and he's pleasuring himself. He's getting it somewhere. And Karen's is kicking me under the table, right? And I figure, well, I guess it's not, I'm kind of screaming and red lobster, like, and so, and so I stop and, and they're not saying anything. And I, and the wife is like, She's giving me the RCA dog thing, and, and the guy's just like this. And, and I even said to him, like, right, dude? Right? I mean, he's getting it somewhere, right? And then Karen kicked me, and we stopped, and we talked about something else, and, and I, I forgot about it. We went to the session. The session was a couple hours long. We, we stayed after. We talked for another hour. Now it's like five hours have passed. We get on the elevator together. We go up. We get off on floor five. They're on floor eight. We get off. The elevator doors closed. It's been five hours, and Karen says, she said they go several months without it. And I was instantly, like, horrified and kind of pleased. I was like, it was, it was like a weird feeling. Like, I was horrified and happy. And then I said, what do you think they're talking about right now? Right? Like... I would bet you dollars to donuts they do it tonight. <laughs> and, I, and I just, I didn't, you know what I said? I don't feel bad because I swear I didn't hear that. And I don't know if the Lord covered my ears so that, so that they would hear what I had to say about it. Or if I just wasn't paying enough attention, I don't know. But, but I'll tell you this, I still believe that's true today. And, and this is something I want to tell you ladies. Guys are visually stimulated. They're sexually oriented. They have a craving for it. And if, if you're not rendering to your husband the affection that's due him, he's going to get it somewhere. And if he loves you and he's committed and he's trying to work, trying to follow the Lord, you, you might be pushing him toward just masturbation. He might be doing that just to try to, to, try to get you know, what he needs without looking at porno, without developing a relationship with another woman, you know, without any of those things. Um, but he's getting it somewhere. And if he's not, he's going to, if you keep it up, you know, that that's just going to happen. And I think that the answer to this stuff is right here. Don't deprive each other. You know, unless these conditions are met. And by the way, those conditions seem to me in my life about as likely as a red heifer being born. You know, like for the Israeling, do you know about that? It has to have every red hair. If it has one white hair, it can't. That was a stupid example. Um, I just looked at all these blank faces. I mean, I figured who's going to know about heifers if it's not these people, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I've seen more cows in two days than I've seen, you know, in 20 years in California. Which they have them in California, it's not by me, I don't, I don't anyway. Um, it's like a blue moon, right? It's, it's just, not ever in 18 years have all those conditions come together. Super serious thing, we agreed on it, time set, prayer. I'm like, hey look, let's try prayer and fasting first. And if that doesn't work, then we'll give up sex for a while. But first, you know, we're just going to try regular old prayer and fasting. You don't, you don't deprive each other. You give each other the affection they're due. Sex is about bringing pleasure to your spouse, not to yourself. These are the goals. Um, let me read you the questions that we're now going to pass out to you. Get your own individual sheet again. 
um, describe the frequency of your sex life. And people had to answer off of it. I mean, I just came up with a couple with a couple things here. If you want to brag, do it in the margins. Um, and what is the frequency you would desire it to be? If you, if you want to come up with your own crazy criteria, do it in the margins. How important is a healthy self, sex life to marriage? And if you could ask your spouse to change or add something to your sex life, what would it be? So here's the questions. Let's fill those out. What about these answers? I asked um, Ryan and Stuart to um, get this clip for us. I showed it at our church when we did this talk. And um, Ryan wants credit for introducing me to this clip. So Ryan, I appreciate having this credit for introducing me to this clip. Um, these, are, these are two guys, and they're, they happen to be from New Zealand, and they're comedians. And they, um, they play songs, and, and these are their jokes. And this one, um, I don't know if it is to them, but to me, it's a, uh, it's a parody of Married Sex. And um, it's my favorite song that they have, and it's, it's funny. Should, could we maybe turn the lights off without making a little... Uh, little yeah, let's make it romantic. Because <laughs> it's going to get unromantic when they start singing. Um, okay. It's adapted from a YouTube video. Give 
Okay, so that's one of my favorite clips. Um, super funny. And uh, plus, if you watch it a few times on YouTube, it's Flight of the Concords, business time, then you can have more sex jokes between you and your partner. Um, you know, like when they're wearing ugly baggy clothes or, um, you know, when it's Wednesday. And um, we've been doing that for two years now. Um, yeah. So it's... Uh, and the funny thing about that is a lot of that stuff's true, right? Um, you know, you've been married for a while, your foreplay is brushing your teeth. And, um, you know, your, your getting ready consists of taking your pants off and, um, you know, the, those kinds of things. And um, it, it's funny. Let's, um, let's read some of these. And um, I, I, I think I'm going to start with the guys. Um, and what I'm going to read is not... Um, is not the frequency of your sex life, except for one that I found really funny. Um, but what we're going to read is, if you could ask your spouse to add or change something in your sex life, what would it be? Once again, we have a couple questions here that are just to lower your senses so that you'll give us the real information we want at the bottom of the page. And ladies, this is the information you want, right? Because your goal is to bring pleasure and satisfaction to your husband. So this is the information that you want. And then we're going to read the women's, and this would be the information that, that the husbands want. And I hope that you're understanding the difference. How, what we think is, this, this is the information I want her to know. But really what we ought to be thinking is, I want to know what she wrote. You know, and what she ought to be thinking is, this is what I want, or what she is thinking is, this is what I want him to know, but what she ought to be thinking is, I want to know what he wrote, you know, because that's what um, good sex is. It's finding out about your partner. I wish she could just open up and let herself enjoy it more than she does. This is a common theme here um, in some of these ladies. Your enjoyment, and, and we're, we're going to get to the guys, okay, because I know that they have a role to play in your enjoyment, but what you need to know is that your goal is to enjoy the, the sexual experience, that it's important to you. Here's another one. I wish that she could be more comfortable with herself and relax during sex, which we have definitely grown in, which is great, um, but it's still something that, that comes, to, uh, comes to his mind. Um, somebody wrote, waking me up in the middle of the night for sex. Um, it's kind of a funny thing, but I think this, this is something to know about you know, your husband, like, 
Um, having sex on or under your kitchen table, whatever's appropriate, that's sort of exciting. Um, I, I had sex many times with Karen in my last office, right? And none of you go to our church, so, you know, I don't, I don't care about telling. I tried to get her to do it up by the pulpit, and she never would. Um, we did it once in the nursing mother's room. And we did it in the nursery one time. Um, so, um, we always cleaned up really well. Um, we, we've, we've done it a couple times in a dressing room, trying on clothes at uh, like a department store or a, or a place like that. We almost did it on a public beach, but she was afraid that when the story hit the paper, Calvary Chapel pastor arrested for indecent exposure that it wouldn't be good for me. So instead, we drove to the top of a parking garage and did it in our car. That was like about two years ago on Valentine's Day. Um, and by the way, I told my kids that we did it in the car. Right? I, and, and my son loves it. The girls are grossed out by it, but I don't care. I want them to be real sure that, that we're still having sex. You know, I, I and, you know, it, you probably don't want to be the guy that marries my daughters or the girl that marries my son, um, you know, because I'm going to be super hard on them the whole time they're dating. And then as soon as they get married, I'm going to start asking them awkward questions about their sex life. Um, here, here's another one. And what's the point there? The point is that some of that stuff, you know, is a way that you can make it exciting for your husband. Something that you don't want to do. Karen ha has, she would never say, you know what, sweetie? The nursery at church is where I'd most like to make love with you. She would never say that. She does those things and she's into them because she knows for me it's exciting, you know? And, and that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. Here's another one. Be into it, not as a favor. I told you about that last night. For me, for a lot of guys, that's like the anti-Viagra. You know, if you're doing me a favor, count, count me out. Uh, here, here's a good one. More morning time before I'm worn out from my job. I think that, I don't think sex should ever be like they sang about. It's Wednesday, nothing good's on TV. I don't think it should ever be a routine. Sex shouldn't be a routine. We do it on this, at this time of the day, on these days, in this way. You know, let me just say this. You, you, this is one of those things you can disagree with me on. But if you're doing the same position three times in a row, boring, boring. You need to find a new one. Karen and I, she's going to hate this. Um, we discovered Karen's favorite position, KFP we call it. I call it. Um... And sometimes people think I'm talking about chicken. You know, it's, it's like, it's fun to have little code names that you just work into things, you know, when we're with other people and she just gets horrified. Nobody knows what we're talking about. We went over to this, this young couple. They're, they're probably 25 and it was just us. And they brought out their Kama Sutra Magic 8 Ball. So it's just like the Magic 8 Ball, you know, does Jimmy like me, you know, and it comes up, you know, with an answer. But it's a Kama Sutra 8 Ball and it just has little stick figures in sexual positions. So they're 20, you know, I'm 42, she's 37. We shook, we had to shake it three times before we found one we could actually do. Okay? That, that we were physically able of performing. But when we did, I wrote it down on a little napkin and it became her 
she was horrified that I was doing this in front of the people and wait a minute, wait a minute. And I'm like, you know, I asked him for a piece of paper and like, and then I'm with the guy, Hey Jesse, does it look, you know, just, is that what it looks like? And, and so, so she acts all horror. This, this will tell you something like Karen. She acts all horrified in front of them and she wants to try it as soon as we get home. So, you know, she's not, you know, the Baptist is, is, is in front of other people, but it's, it's out of her completely. Um, and it became her absolute favorite position. If you're doing the same position like three, four, five, six, seven, ten times in a row, um, you, you got to change something. Um, here's one, oral sex, or is that biblically not right? Um, Hebrews says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. And what that means is that unless it is clear-cut sin, like bringing other people in or animals... Or, um, or, you know, I think hardcore porn, porno stuff like that is just clearly wrong. Other than that, anything goes in, in your marriage bed. And, um, and I think these are things that you would do. We, we've had an interesting um, oral sex month in information, me and Karen, because our girls started a Christian high school that has open enrollment, ton of non-safe kids. And... A lot of their friends are talking about oral sex, that they've done it, that they're going to do it, kind of like it's no big deal. So Karen had to, she said, well, this morning on the way to school, I described oral sex as graphically as possible because it was like the fourth time Hannah had asked. So Hannah and Grace are in the back seat, 14, ninth grade. Titus is in the front seat. He's 12 and he's in seventh grade. They're thinking about their friends that are doing it. He's, he's just loving it. Right? He's just soaking it all in. So she talks all about it. I mean, she talks all about it. Like, you know, the, the semen. And, and then suddenly Grace says, we just learned about that in health. Because Karen said, stuff comes out. That's semen. Semen comes out in your mouth. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. And she just freaks out, right? Why would anybody ever do that? And now Karen's got a dilemma, right? Because, well, we don't want, you know, we don't hate her future husband. So we don't want to... <laughs> You know, in theory, we don't hate him. So we don't, you know, we, we may, depending on who he is, but right now we don't hate him. And we don't want to raise her to be like, you know, like, oh, if you ever put your mouth on a boy's penis, then your lips are going to fall off. You know, you don't, you, we don't want to raise her like that, right? So then Karen went to the whole, in a marriage, you know, between a man and a wife, it's something that you would do for your partner because you love them. And, and then Titus goes, uh, wait a minute. Do you do that to dad? <laughs> so then she says, in a marriage, when you love, and just repeats the same thing, and his hands go up, he goes, girls, she does that to dad. She does that to dad. And they just like freak out. And, and, um, and, uh, and then Titus says to me, we're at Red Robin. He got to school early that day. He says to me, and this is Sammy. Well, basically, she said that if the guy wants to do it back, he puts his tongue on her vagina. And there's like people all around us. I'm just like, what in the world are you, are you talking about? And he goes, you want me to show you? I'm like, no. No, don't. He's putting his hand, he's got his tongue sticking out. Like, and I just look at her like, what did you do? As, it, as we found out later, it was a mix between mom's talk and his friends at school that he became apparently an oral sex expert. I don't know. Um, 
Oral sex is biblically permissible and it is something that you ought to find out about your partner. That you ought to find out if they enjoy, that you ought to consider. Um, there's a Mark Driscoll story where he was teaching, I don't know if he's teaching on sex, but a lady came up and she was saved, her husband wasn't, and said, hey, you know, my husband wants oral sex and I told him I'm not going to do it. And, and he said, okay, listen, um, you know, he talked about Peter, you know, by your example, you might be a witness to your husband. He said, listen, I want you to consider doing this as a way of serving your husband because you love him. Not because you want to do it, but because it's something that's important to him. And, you know, kind of like a way of being Christ-like who laid down what he wanted for the benefit of others. So she goes home and basically she tells her husband, I was instructed to give you oral sex at church today. And then she gives him oral sex. Where do you think he was ne the next Sunday? He's thinking, I've got to see the church that told my wife to give me oral sex. So he comes, he hears the gospel, he gives his life to Christ. Right? So it's oral sex that got him in the door. Um, but, you know, he heard the truth, right? And, and what she did was said, okay, this is not something I want to do, but, but because he wants me to, because I love him, it's something that I'm willing to, I'm willing to give to him. And... Those are the things that, that, we ought to, that we ought to find out about. Uh, I am a husband. Des describe the frequency of your sex life. It says once a month, and then it says, is Truman still president? <laughs> um, <laughs> this is another one that talks about having sex without any, um, without any restraint, being into it. But ladies, generally speaking, Women want to be um, loved. They, they want to be cared for. And guys want to be admired. There's some, we want to be admired. I want to know that I'm a big stud to Karen. And one of the places that guys have in them that they're supposed to be a big stud is, is in sex. And when you're not into it, we're not a big stud. <laughs> you know, and, and it's one of those things that like just doesn't seem right. It's not... It's not good. Here's another great one. Husband says, if I could ask her to change anything, it would be for her to initiate. It's just like doing it, um, you know, in the nursery at church, which I'm not condoning, nor have Karen and I ever been left alone in your church. So, um, <laughs> but the, the lady initiating, just changing, just, it's a way of saying, I'm into you. I desire you. It's a, a wonderful thing that, that guys would like. Here's another one about sometimes being passive. Uh, I'd like more active participation. And then it says in parentheses, not just sit there and let me do all the work. And, you know, uh, you remember the, um, that thing you do with his ear that he doesn't like? You know, that same conference, I was talking about sex. I said, ladies, listen, this is not something where you can just lay on your back and say, wake me when it's over. That's not, that's not good sex. It's not healthy. That's not wonderful, you know, and there's a whole guy part, and we'll get to that in a second, um, more passionate, not cut and dry, not to be embarrassed to talk about what pleasures her, and let me just say this, what I said to you is true, we need maps, we need help, you know, and know this about us, we don't like to ask for directions, so if we're asking you, tell us the truth, Right? Because it's against our nature to say, I don't know where it is. So if your husband says, I don't know where it is, help him out. Help, and don't be embarrassed. Um, don't be embarrassed um, to help her out. Okay.
Let's go on to the, to the wife stuff. This wife says, more massages. It makes me horny. I, I like that. <laughs> um, if, if you have not told your husband that massages make you horny, you need to do that today. Um, and, and she says more at night instead of in the morning. Night is something that she likes. These are things you need to communicate. And um, guys, this is where we start. Well, let's just talk about another one. To add more romance, to help me feel more sexy, and to help me feel less momish. More flirting, flowers, time together, more actions that express a desire to care for me. Here's, here's where we start to understand. Right, The guys want more passion. They want them to be into it. They want some excitement. They want to be admired. And, and what do ladies want? They want you to care about them for a longer period than just when you're having sex. And this is the thing that you have to realize. Good sex doesn't start when it starts. It, it starts hours previous to that. And you start by affirming and loving and building up and caring about the best sex can start with you listening to things that you don't even understand. The best sex can start with a talk that is a serious talk. Some of the best sex I've ever had in my life was on a mission trip to Russia. And Karen and I were having a thing and, and I'm supposed to lead a, a devotion. But it was, you know, sometimes these discussions, these things come at the time you don't want them. And I was doing something and, and it was making her not feel good and I... You know, I thought it was ridiculous, and, and she said, it makes me feel like you don't love me. And I don't know why, but at that moment, it just overwhelmed me, like that thing. And I, and I, I, I don't know how many times she's ever seen me cry in 18 years, maybe three or four times. You, you think that's right? Maybe three or four times. And it just, it just broke me. And I just said, like, I can't believe that you don't that you don't think I love you. And whatever it is that I'm doing that I'm that I'm arguing about, I, I'm I'll I'll let it go because I don't ever want you to think that I don't love you. And I don't know what happened, but I went from jerk to unbelievably desirable in about a 10 second span there when I opened my heart. When I, when I just told her, like, I love you so much, it hurts me that you don't think I love you. Like, I cried, and she would not stay off of me for, like, a week and a half while we were there. It was unreal. You know, we were doing concerts, and so, you know, there's a lot of people around, and, and, and th you know, this is not normally her, and it certainly wasn't normally her prior to a lot of that. But, you know, we're at concerts, and in the crowd, and then she's got her hand down my pants. And, I'm, and now I'm embarrassed. What? Okay, maybe not in. But can I? I like to think that it was in. Can we, can we not? Can we do that? All right. So maybe it wasn't in. But it was definitely on my pants and not on my thighs or knees or, or butt even. Right? You get the picture. Um, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? And she's now embarrassing me, which is a total reversal, right? And I'm thinking, like, i got to get up and share the gospel in a couple minutes. I don't want to, you know, do it with an erection. Are you kidding me? I'm going to stand on a stage this high, and everyone's just going to get your hands off me, you know? I felt like I was in seventh grade again. You know, like, come and answer the question on the board. Fail me. I'm not doing it, you know? Like, I'm, I'm like, you know, in my late 30s, maybe I was 40, and I, she took me all the way back to junior high. 
Why did that happen? Because I expressed something to her that I had no idea was going to have any sexual benefit. And it ended up having the most amazing sexual benefit that I could, um, um, you know, that I could even imagine. Um, here's a way that says not to ask for it so much that I feel like I'm sinning when I feel like I need to turn them down. Be sensitive to what I want as far as frequency. We do it about three times a week. Do men need more than that typically? Um, I, I, I don't know what's typical for a man, but I know that whoever wrote this, you guys just need to have talks about this, right? You need to, you need to compromise. You need to be willing to meet each other at a place that's right. Um, I, I think a guy would like to have sex every day. I think that's typical, right? Here, here's how it goes for me. When I'm happy, I'd like to have sex. When I'm sad, I'd like to have sex. When I'm angry, I'd like to have sex, right? When I'm depressed, sex sounds great. Like I, it, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. It, it just, I'd like to have sex all the time. Now things need to be right. And, but typically a guy wants to have sex all the time. Um, but I, you know, a guy, we need to be reasonable and, and understanding and back and forth and know our role in it and, and all of that stuff. And, and what I want to say to you is you need to have uh, um, a conversation. Extra fun and foreplay. Um, this, is, um, th this is an amazing thing. Um, this is a lady who's saying you need to change, you need to add. Um, and, and this goes without saying if you understand what the Bible says about sex. Right? My job is to please her. My job is to, is to bring satisfaction and fulfillment to her. And let me just say this. Women, generally speaking, I don't, you know, I don't know every woman. I haven't had sex with every woman in the world. So I can only speak this generally. Generally speaking, women are not going to be pleased, fulfilled, and satisfied without foreplay. It just, it, I'm thinking right now of a scene from The Three Amigos. Did you see The Three Amigos? They kidnapped the young girl and the older girl who had been with El Guapo for a while came in and was getting her ready and said, do you know what foreplay is? And she said no. And then the older girl said, good, neither does El Guapo. <laughs> right? And, and that, that's sort of something that we need to figure out. You know, that, that um, you need to figure out what sort of foreplay is, is you know, beneficial to your wife. Um, this one says, don't kiss my ear with a smiley face. I like that. Um, foreplay begins by conversation, meaningful touch before the bedroom and making sure I am ready. Um, this is something guys need to hear. Foreplay to me is, you know, could be, um, you know, like, I, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but you know, we spend a lot of time at pharmacies, right? I take anti-rejection medication for my kidneys. Karen has two or three pills she takes and always at a pharmacy, there's tons of magazines, right? So I'm always drawn to Cosmo because it always has in big headings like 75 sex tricks. You know, how to be a naughty girl. And I'm always telling Karen, please let me buy that for you. You know, and, you know, she would probably let me buy it for her here, but not in our town. You know, she would just wouldn't want to be standing at the checkout counter and, and um, with that. But that kind of stuff to me is foreplay. Like, read the book and teach me some more foreplay, like, but sometimes foreplay is us having a conversation to her. To me, it's like extra sexual things, which is great. But to her, foreplay might be 
you know, having a conversation. It might be like, like it said, meaningful touch, like just hugging her when it's not, you know, time to have sex, giving her a kiss when it's not in the middle of, and somebody said in here more making out, you know, and it's just kind of a thing that happens. Like, you know, I think to some guys, like you're more than happy to make out when you're dating, but now it's like, who needs to make out? We can just have sex. Right? And, and that's not a good way to be. Meaningful touch. Foreplay. Finding out what foreplay is. Um, here, here it is right here. Spend more time before sex loving and making out. More affection that doesn't have to actually lead to sex. You need to talk, you need to talk about that and define what that is to your husband. Does that mean you know holding your hand, walking with his arm around you, hugging you, giving you a kiss when he leaves and a kiss when he comes back, letting you know you're beautiful. Those can all be affection that doesn't actually have to lead to sex. And it does lead to sex in some way, but it's not like I don't have any interest in touching you until it's about nine o'clock. And now I'm thinking, okay, you know, I already know, um, you know, what happened in the world and what my favorite sports team did. What do I want to do now? Oh, I better go give my wife a hug and, and you know, so, so she'll be able to have sex with me. Um, you know, touch like in other ways is important and, and you guys should talk about that. Here it is again, more hugging and holding time before or after sex. One of my favorite lines is when he says, you want more? I'm not surprised, but I'm quite sleepy. Um, hilarious. <laughs> Romance. Um, to not be selfish and only please himself and a little more foreplay, not just you want to do it. This, this is a classic guy thing, you know, you, you want to do it. And um, I do that, you know, and I do it like in, you know, in the middle of a play at school when we're watching the kids. Like I like to do it just to, you know, just to be funny, but you want to do it is not an effective foreplay technique. Let me just let's just go ahead and get that out in the open. It's not even a good it's not even a good invitation, you know. Light a candle is better than you want to do it, you know. Like anything at all, take a shower, you know. Put on some cologne is better than you want to do it. You find a, a better way, um, you know, to to do that. Come to bed with me at night or right after. Um, so that we can make love on a regular basis to maintain a healthy relationship. This reminds me of one that somehow I lost on the guy side, which said to get the kid out of the room. And, and, and I, I definitely wanted to talk about it, and somehow we lost that. Listen, um, your children are going to make sex difficult, but you cannot allow them to make sex impossible. I'm just going to give you my opinion. You can do with it what you want. Children should not regularly sleep in their parents' bed. They shouldn't do it. It's not good for the kids. It's not good for the parents. Kids have nightmares, of course. You know, it's not like, you had a nightmare? Get back in bed, you little sissy. You know, he's three. You know, no, nobody's going to do that. Nobody should do that. But a child should not think that they own the parents' bed. They, they shouldn't sleep there every night. They just shouldn't do it. And if they are doing it, it's it's the beginning stages of them being smarter than you. Get them a bed and put them in their bed. And, and, and that's where they need to sleep. And when they're scared and when they cry out, you comfort them. If you need to bring them into your bed, you bring them into your bed. But if you let them sleep in your... Oh, I just had an epiphany. Do you remember that he's getting it somewhere, couple? They had their first child 
and, and the mom was nursing the baby, right? And she would bring the baby into bed and nurse the baby, and then he would go sleep on the kid's bed. And then they had another child, and she would nurse the new child and sleep in bed by herself. The little girl at that point had to go to her own bed because now there was another baby, and then he went to, to that kid's bed. And, and they did that through four kids, and no surprise they're going three months without it. And you know what going into the other room is? It's a lot of time for him to take care of himself while she's having some need met by, having, by breastfeeding the kid. And you know what? I don't necessarily think that's just her fault. I, I don't want to come across that way because she was having some need met from, from the baby that she should have been. Some of it's fine, right? But to need it every night, that's a need that should be met by him. She was having it met by her baby. And it, it produced an unhealthy sex life. That's what it produced. And they both had culpability in it. Your kids should not sleep in your bed on a regular basis. It, it just shouldn't happen. They shouldn't be in your room all the time. They shouldn't run the house. Um, our son has been dying to see us have sex I, pretty much since he could walk. And, and there's time, you know, we lock our door and, and then you just hear him out, the, you just hear the door. You know, he's like, he's like eight or nine. And then I hear him, girls, girls, they're doing it. Girls, they're doing it. And then I just hear him like, shut up, get away, right? And then, and then you hear him again, right? And you can, you can just see the shadow. He's now down. He's trying, to, he's trying to look under the door. And then finally he got a chair and he got the little poker thing. At which point, you know, we had to separate and run for the door and keep him out. Now, Karen, when they're home, you know, she, she puts a, the laundry basket and she barricades the door like the, you know, like we're Jewish people and the Nazis are coming in. And we hid the key somewhere. And, and he's just always wanted to, you know, has always wanted to catch us doing it. Um, and, and we put him out. He knows we're doing it. Um, coincidentally, this year at family camp, he finally walked in on us. And we were under the impression that we could actually lock the door even though they had a key. And yeah, that wasn't true. So we're, we're I mean, we're right about to, to do it. We're making out, but a lot of our clothes are off. All my clothes are off. Um, Karen has just her bra on. And we hear the door, but we don't react because it's locked, right? All of a sudden, and he comes into a room like Kramer from Seinfeld. Flings the door open, and he's in, right? And then Karen, like, you know, like a ninja... She's up and she's, she's got a towel and he goes, and, and then I wasn't worried because it's my son. I mean, I'm, and then I hear him say, Hannah, and which is my daughter, they're doing it. So now I'm just face down on the bed, right? Just like this, like, give me a towel, right? And, and Hannah comes in and, and it takes a, like an, an obscenely long time for somebody to get me something to cover up with. And he's. He's clapping and he's jumping around and, and Hannah first starts out by being disgusted, but then she starts to laugh and then Karen tries the standard, we, we weren't having sex, we were taking a nap. Without pause, he goes, oh yeah? And he, he goes, then what are your panties doing over there? And what are dad's boxers doing over there? He grabs the panties, he hops on the bed, on his knees, right, like cowboy stance, and he goes, pretty sure when you're having sex, you go like this. Woo! And he throws the panties in the air onto the floor, right? I'm just like, oh, man. 
So we think it's over. He's kind of calming down. All of a sudden he says, Hannah, Hannah, I'm pretty sure dad had a boner. I'm like, I look at Karen like, have you taught him that? Right? She's like, you told him that word. I'm like, I didn't tell him that word. I, I don't know where he, where he, I mean, I will say this though. He's not quite so much wanting to walk in on us again. It's, it sort of satisfied his, uh, his curiosity. And we had to have a talk about which words were appropriate to use outside the house and inside the house. And he wanted to tell all of our families from family camp, right? And we go, you can't tell anybody. He goes, he goes really? Matt is the guy who donated the kidney to me. He goes, how about just Matt? I want to just go up to him. He, he's outside. And I just want to say, Matt, I don't know how your sex life is doing, but my parents are doing it right now. <laughs> So I go, all right, you can tell Matt. <laughs> so I forget what got us there, but, oh, it's kids, right? Um, you you got you to get them out. You, you got to get them out. We're back to women again. More romance, more foreplay. Add foreplay before we hit the bedroom. Variety helps. Are you seeing a theme here? They're saying that what would help them is if you were, if you were, caring about them, investing in them. They're saying that these are the things you can do to add pleasure, to add fulfillment to me. More time to focus on one another. We always seem so rushed. Man, how true is that? You know, especially if you have kids, but whether you do or you don't, there are a million things to fill your time. And, and your sex life requires focusing on each other to be, uh, to be more about us and not just about his pleasure Kissing me all over my body. This is, you need to tell your husband this. He, he, he needs to know this. Especially on the, uh, on the chance that you say kissing me all over my body and he said I'd like you to be more into it. You see, a conversation could bring these two things together and, and make a wonderful time. Um, the amount of time he spends attention on me, back rubs, caressing, all around loving me and making me feel like I'm beautiful and worth it. Um, th- these, are, these are great words. And, you know, once again, uh, by and large, the women have, have expressed themselves far better than us. You know, which, which, is, uh, which is kind of a way that it goes. Spending attention, you know, touching, loving, making her feel like she's worth it. These are ways that we can add... Um, you know, we can add about that. Like not be, the other one says not just about his pleasure, but both people need to enjoy it. This question, what's one thing you could ask your spouse to add or change? It's made great discussion for us. It lets me talk to you about things. These are discussions you have to have. You, you have to have these. You have to say, um, and, and if you feel this, and I would say generally this is a guy's problem and these answers bear this out. Guys, a lot of us need to say to our wife tonight, please forgive me for, for just being concerned about my pleasure. Please forgive me for treating sex as if it's my time for my satisfaction and my fulfillment. I, I didn't know. I mean, I always knew it was kind of wrong, but I, but I didn't know that it was my job to be about your fulfillment, to, to be about helping you enjoy it. And I need to know what things I can do to make it more enjoyable for you. What things I can do to make it more fulfilling and more pleasurable for you. There's, guys, we need to do this. I really think that 
you know, I, I told you last night what I think spiritual leader isn't. I think this is an area where we need to be spiritual leaders, where we need to take responsibility and we need to say, I'm sorry for being this way. And what can I do to, to make you happier and more fulfilled? What can I do to add to your pleasure? What sort of things do you like? Help me. It's just like Jeff said, I need a map. You have to help me. I don't know. You know, and, and it, ladies, if your husband says that to you, you have to help him. And you have to say, um, you know, whatever you need to say, maybe something like, I'm sorry for not being into it. I'm sorry for, you know, using it as a, as a weapon or as a, a punishment tool. And these conversations help. I, I want to tell you one last story before I let you go. I did a men's retreat a lot of years ago, and I was doing it on the life of David. And Saturday night, I felt led to discuss the portion of David's life where he had committed adultery, had Uriah killed, married Bathsheba, and then went on with business as usual. And God sent Nathan to him. You remember this? And said, you are that man. And I really wanted to talk about that moment where the Lord wants to say to us, you are that man. You've overlooked it. You've pushed it down. You don't want to admit it. You're not going to deal with it. But you are that man. And about a week before the retreat, or maybe it was even a couple days as I was praying about it, I just thought, you know, if I'm going to ask the guys to open up to the you are that man moment, I better, I better spend some time with the Lord and ask him to show me my blind spots. Lord, where, where do you want to confront me? And, and I was not prepared nor happy about what he showed me. And what the Lord showed me is, and I felt like what he said to me as clearly is that I was committing adultery, but using Karen's body to do it. And if you don't know what that means, what that means is we were having sex, but I was thinking about other things. I was thinking about, you know, pictures or images that I'd seen, you know, TV commercials or shows and, and, and I wasn't with her. And although we were having, what does Jesus say, right? If you look at a person of the opposite sex with lust, you've already committed adultery. And he just showed me like, listen, you're proud of yourself for being faithful to your wife. From my perspective, this is what you're doing. This is where you are the man. And I got up at the, at the retreat and I shared that with the guys. And there were a couple of them that were in that place. And there was a there was a guy there, I didn't know him, somebody invited from work and he was kind of had been a Christian a little while, but he was smoking dope and he didn't want to give it up and his wife wanted him to give it up and it was ruining his marriage and, you know, big surprise, it was making him not a real good employee, right? And he wasn't a very good father and, and, and he was arguing with the Lord and, and he didn't want to tell anybody, nobody knew, you know, no Christians knew. And he told me like five or six years later, he said, when you said that, I said, man, if that guy can stand up there and say that in front of everybody, then I can admit to somebody what's going on in my life. And that night, I asked somebody to pray for me. I told them, and I never smoked dope again. And my, my marriage is better, my relationship with my kids. I've had four promotions. Like, you know, that was amazing, right? And guys were ministered to, but then I knew what I had to do. And what I had to do is go home and, and, and tell Karen. And so we come home from the retreat. It's Sunday afternoon, you know, and she's just there. She's been praying for us. She sent me some cookies and a note about, you know, what a great husband I am, which only made me feel like crap even more, right? And I did eat the cookies, though. Um, I came home, and she's like, how was your retreat? And I said, man, it was phenomenal, and, and we need to talk. We went into the room. We closed the door. We sat on the bed, and I said, listen, babe, God spoke to me, and this is what he spoke to me. 
And it was humiliating and it was difficult and it hurt her. And it was one of the best things that ever happened in our sex life. Because, and I didn't intend this at all, but I felt amazing after admitting it to her. And I was refocused on loving her and paying attention to her and being into it for her. And she thought, oh crap, he's one step away from finding a girl who's going to pay attention to him. And, 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 you know, she didn't say that to me or whatever, but I was more focused on her and hearing it, although it hurt her, you know what it did for her? It made her more focused on me. And we began that, that was the moment that we began to be about sex for each other. She was about it for me. And it, it, it probably wasn't even a healthy reason why she was, but she was about it for me and I was about it for her. And we began to have really, really good sex. End zone celebration sex is what we began to have. What I was hoping we would have, you know, so, so many years earlier. It was an awkward conversation. I didn't want to have it. I didn't like admitting it. I didn't want to hurt her. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I'm ashamed I did it. I wish I had never done it. I wish God didn't have to speak it to me. I would not trade that conversation for anything because without that moment, we would still be having marginal to bad sex. We would still be, I would still be thinking it's all about me. She would still be thinking she's doing me a favor, that it's her wifely duty, you know, and, and we, would, we would be having bad sex. And here's what I want to say. Some of you need to have those conversations. Maybe not that exact one, but you need to have those conversations. You know, and, and maybe some of you ladies need to have a conversation like that with your husband. Maybe you need to say, hey, listen, um, you know, and, and we had this conversation once where there was a friend of ours that was complimenting Karen and, and, and doing these kinds of things. And although she wasn't sexually attracted to him, she was attracted to the compliments. And it was very difficult for her to have that conversation with me. And it hurt me. And, and, um, but, you know, it once again, it had a dual effect to her. It turned her attention way back on me. And to me, it made me so complimentary and loving and, and building her up. And although it was horrible and I hated going through it, it was amazing for our marriage. It led to great sex. It led to a great relationship. It led to her feeling loved and valued. And some of you need to have those conversations. I could have come here this weekend and I could have prepared Bible studies and I could have given them to you and many of you would have came and said, that was a great Bible study, thank you so much. But I didn't want to do that because I've done a lot of that and I'm not sure how effective it is. Marriage is too important for me to be concerned about my Bible study. I want to talk to you in the realest way that I can and I want to say things that make you uncomfortable. Because until you're uncomfortable, you're not going to do anything about it. And you need to do something about it because your marriage is that important. It's important to your children. It's important to society at large. Where are people going to go to see good marriage? And if they can't come to Calvary Chapel, Crook County and see good marriage, where are they going to see it? They're not going to see it in Hollywood. They're not going to see it in the world. They're not going to see it in movies. We have to be the place that says to people, this is what marriage looks like. Went to a gas station one time and I, and I was upset because my credit card wouldn't work in the pump and I had to go inside. 
And it just so happened that the girl was listening to some radio station and they were talking about sex. And I waited in line and a lady came on and said, you know, or a guy came on and said, my wife and I, you know, we have sex a couple times a week, you know, two or three times a week. And we've been married for 10 years. And, and I just heard her go, yeah, right. And I said, you, you don't believe that? And she said, no, married people don't have good sex. And I said, you know, she's a single girl. And I said, that breaks my heart to hear you say that. And, she, and, and I said, listen, I'm, I've been married 16 years. And my wife and I have regular sex, and it is good. And I said, I'll guarantee you it's better than any sex you're having with some guy you barely know. And, and she didn't believe me, and I know she didn't believe me. And I walked away, and I just thought, how sad that she doesn't have one marriage in her life that she believes could possibly be in love enough to be having regular good sex. This is our responsibility to show to the world, to be able to say, man, this, this is, do you know that marriage is a picture of Jesus and us? I think that's another reason why Satan attacks it. We're supposed to be able to say to people, you see how much we love each other? That's, that's just a small picture of how Jesus loves you. You see how close we are? That's just a small picture of how close he wants to be to you. And if people come into our churches and they meet nice people and kind people, but they don't meet happily married people, we have failed them. And to get you from where you are to where you need to be, you need to be uncomfortable. You need to have conversations that you don't want to have. You need to be awkward. They need to be painful. There might be tears involved, but I guarantee you whatever investment you make will be honored by the Lord and will benefit you immensely. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the time that you've given us, Lord, to spend together. And um, God, I just... I just pray for every marriage that's represented here, Jesus, and I ask you that you would touch them, Lord. I ask you, Lord, for the people that might be apprehensive and afraid right now, can I really say this to my spouse? Lord, I pray that you would fill them with courage. I pray that you fill them with your spirit. I pray that you would show them, Lord, that maybe it is going to be difficult and maybe it is going to be hurtful and maybe it is going to require help, but in the long run, it's going to breed health. Jesus, you said that we're like branches and for branches to be beneficial, they have to be pruned and that means cut away. And that's not wonderful for the branch. It's painful. It causes bleeding sometimes. Lord, may we be willing to be pruned in order to bear fruit as a couple. Pray that you would bless each marriage here, Jesus, and I pray it in your wonderful name. Amen.